are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, please, and look at the book of Lamentations, chapter number 1, if you will. Book of Lamentations, chapter number 1, and then we'll read a verse in Lamentations, chapter 3, as well. It's been good to be in church tonight. And I think the only thing better than church on Sunday is more of it during the week. And I'm glad that you're here tonight, and I'm honored to be a part of this meeting this year. I appreciate all the special music. appreciate the heart and the vision of Pastor Treber to host a meeting like this. And I'm praying God will meet with us, aren't you? Now, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know enough about God to know God wants to do something. And I, I guarantee you this, whatever the need is, God already has it in the storehouse and if we'll just go to him, he can meet the need that we have in our heart tonight. And I'm praying that he will. And I'm glad God gave everybody safety in traveling in here. And just looking forward to a great meeting this week. I was a little bit grieved, a little bit grieved. Everything was going pretty good. And then, uh, you know, where I'm from, there ain't anything to do but fish and hunt. Well, you know, that's not really true. Because sometimes we used to go sit in the Walmart parking lot and see what each other's trucks looked like. But... Uh, You know, it's really West Virginia's like California. The only difference is we shot deer and they shoot each other. But uh, <laughs> other than that, we fit in really good out here. We were driving across the country, and my I was in a big, uh, a big U-Haul kind of truck, and my dad was on, you know, cell phone. We were using that to CB, you know, breaker, breaker, come in, you know. And he said, "You know what I just thought about." I said, what? He said, we are literally acting out in living color the Beverly Hillbillies right now. And I, said, huh? <laughs> I said, you never know. Maybe we'll get rich out there. All right, Lamentations chapter number three. Lamentations chapter, yeah, the preacher said, I doubt that. And so far, he's, he's right. Lamentations chapter number three. We'll read verse number one of Lamentations chapter one first, and then I'll draw your attention. Chapter three will be where we find our text for the message. Lamentations chapter one, verse Number one, the Bible says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces? How has she become tributary? Now I took my pen and I underlined two words in chapter 1, verse 1, and there there's two words. Look what it says. Jeremiah is commenting and he calls Jerusalem the city. Now that's a little bit distant. That's a little bit cold. Maybe that's even a little bit aloof or disillusioned, he just looks at the place he had served and preached to and labored in, and as he looks on the destruction of Jerusalem, he simply refers to it as the city. But as you read in the book of Lamentations, I believe we read and we see Jeremiah's heart retenderize, if you will, get soft again to his mission field. And I was reading and I came to chapter number 3, and I noticed verse number 51, and his terminology changes. And this is a very familiar verse, and we've all heard it preached from before, but I hadn't noticed this until recently. And the Bible says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of, watch what it says, Amen. my city. In chapter number one, he just says, it's the city. But as he considered it, and as he got stirred by what he saw, he said, that's not just a city. That's not just some city. That's not just the city. That's my city. Now, I don't know all of you here, but maybe somebody pulled in tonight 
and you've been a little bit disillusioned, a little bit discouraged, maybe a little bit discontent with your city, your station, the place God's planted you to serve. I want to challenge you tonight to let God rekindle that fire in your heart. And let's go home and not just say that's a city or that's the city, but we got to go home and say by the grace of God and for the glory of God, that's my city. For a little while, I want to preach on that thought. My city, let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power to preach. I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit of God just now. I pray that you'd give me strength to stand and, and Lord, just liberty tonight. I pray more than just a good message. I pray that you'd speak to hearts this evening. Give some man of God, some servant of God, some laborer for God, a renewed burden and vision for their city. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The prophet Jeremiah is now a remorseful reminiscer rather than a pleading prophet. Jeremiah tirelessly warned of God's wrath. He'd watered his mission field with his own tears. He'd called his generation to repentance. He'd hungered for revival. He'd cried aloud and he'd spared not. He'd prayed and he'd pleaded with God and man. He'd played the part of a watchman warning a people that had shut up their ears to the word of God. In his city... Truth had fallen in the streets, but not because the preacher had failed to preach truth in his city. In Lamentations, Jeremiah is no longer prophesying of judgment to come, but now he's lamenting the fulfillment of it. He'd preached judgment, but he'd hoped that his nation, his countrymen, and his city would have been spared that judgment. He's not looking forward now with warning, but now he's looking back with a broken heart. Jeremiah had gone out bearing precious seed. He'd wept but he never got to come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Picture the prophet. His vigis is aged. His skin is wrinkled. His bones are sore within him because of the severity of his burden. He's no longer rejoicing. He's not enjoying his ministry. He's eyewitness of the effects upon a city caused by a people that rejected and forsake, had forsaken the Lord. Jerusalem had sinned and merited the wrath of God. Now Jeremiah's people were either captured, murdered, or dying in the streets. Their joy had ceased. Their dancing has now turned into mourning. Jeremiah's view is filtered through a constant lens of his own tears. His heart's perpetually heavy. His body's weary. He's sick over the city, and it seems like there's no remedy. In, in short, Jeremiah's broken over the broken city of God. He understands that if it hadn't been for the mercy of God, the city would have been entirely consumed without any hope of future restoration. Let me stop there and say that that's a fantastic testimony to us tonight of the faithfulness of God to his people. The very fact that God would leave the door cracked for any hope of restoration is a testimony to God's faithfulness to his children. I'm glad that God was, and I'm glad that God is, and I'm glad God will ever be faithful to his children. It's like the hymn that was written in 1925, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou wilt forever be. And as we read in the beginning of Lamentations, we find that Jeremiah describes the city as deserted. It's a fallen city. The royal city has lost its crown and now it's in subjection to another. Jeremiah lived through the reformation of Josiah and he'd seen the results of a good king who walked with God. But after Josiah died, so did the spiritual pulse of the people. 
Idolatry was rampant. Immorality was celebrated. Worship was apathetic. Fermented wine and fornication were celebrated cancers upon the culture. The creature had in essence dethroned and disregarded the creator. Two things will characterize the life of Jeremiah, weeping and loneliness like the thorns that pierced the brow of our Savior and like the stripes that striped his back. Those two things are the striking reality, the everyday reality of Jeremiah as he served in Jerusalem. When we think about Jeremiah, we don't think about popularity or applause. We don't think about prominence or prosperity. The prophet was a punchline to his generation. They didn't like his old-fashioned preaching. They didn't like his old-fashioned position. Like Christ, Jeremiah would weep and mourn for Jerusalem. He'd be despised by his own countrymen. Jeremiah was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Now Jonah will preach and he'll see Nineveh repent and get right under his preaching. Jeremiah will preach and his people will ignore his preaching. Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel and he'll say God is God and the people get right. Jeremiah proclaims God is God and his people mock him. He's plowing fallow ground. He's sowing seed in a stony place. He's preaching out of season. Judah wanted to be blessed, but they didn't want God. They wanted favor for free without paying the price of repentance and getting right with God. Jeremiah's voice had cried out that famine was coming. He warned that Babylon was coming. He foretold that the temple would be destroyed and Jerusalem would fall. Now when we come to Lamentations, Jeremiah's living out the reality of his own prophecy. He'd served as a lonely lighthouse, trying to guide his generation back to God. He walked about with a yoke upon his neck. He was slandered and scorned. He was falsely accused of being unpatriotic because he preached against Jerusalem. He was beaten. He was ignored. He was put in prison and cast into the mire until it climbed up around his neck. He was led forth in chains and spent nights and morning over a city that refused his message. Can I say Jeremiah wasn't at risk of getting the keys to the city. He didn't have to worry about getting voted in as man of the year. They didn't want to put a garland on his shoulders. They wanted to put a noose around the preacher's neck. Jeremiah wasn't an eloquent man. He's a broken man. He wasn't a charismatic man. He was a crying man. Each word that left the lips of the prophet was choked with emotion and mingled with tears over Jerusalem. Jeremiah had preached during the reign of several kings and during those reigns of those different kings, they all tried to better Jerusalem. They all tried to implement their own government policies and their own government projects. They wanted to lower inequality and provide free education, if you will, and get rid of poverty. And what they wanted to do is legislate revival. Now, can I help you tonight? You can no sooner legislate revival as you can wish for world peace, get good look out of a rabbit's foot, or find gold in your box of lucky charms. If we're gonna have revival, it always comes from the same place. It's God that sends revival. The soundtrack that plays in the background of Lamentations is composed of the sounds of a city on the back end of judgment. The Bible says that the judgment upon Jerusalem is even more severe than the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. When you step across the threshold and into Lamentations, you're stepping into the aftermath of what happens when a society has to visit the woodshed of God. The sounds are no longer those of conversation and joy, but now the sounds of sorrow echo in the streets. The houses are empty. The 
gates are burned. The priests sigh. The unmistakable and unforgettable stench of death pollutes the atmosphere. Jerusalem has been misused and abused. The citizens of the city have been murdered and ravished and those left about walk in shame and disbelief. The glory is departed from the city. The majesty is gone from the city. The blessings of God are a memory now in the city. The Lord had been his bow and poured his fury out like fire upon the city of God. Jerusalem is no longer a feared city. She's no longer a respected city. She's no longer the perfection of beauty. She's not now the apple of God's eye, but sin has made her rotten to the very core. God has withdrawn his hand from Jerusalem and the people of God have forfeited his favor. Foreigners look on Jerusalem and they hiss. They slander the city. They gnash their teeth against the broken city of God. In Lamentations, God's people have lost their liberty. Their city's been forsaken. Now they're nothing more than wandering strangers, enslaved, captive, and in bondage to inform power. And let me stop there quickly and make application and say what a warning for us. What a warning to our nation. What a warning to us as a state and our city and us as individuals of what can happen when God is forsaken. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But can I say, woe to that nation that would push God out. Woe to that nation that would push God out of the schools and push God out of politics and even push God out of religion. I say, God bless America, but how much longer can God bless a nation like America? Let me ask you tonight. God has blessed us, but he's not obligated to. How much longer can God bless a nation like America that applauds the murdering of babies America, a nation that flaunts its immorality. America, a nation with a politician that parades a nine-year-old boy on a platform to use him as a pawn and promote him into sodomy. How much longer can America, a nation be blessed that thrives on corruption, that boasts of its bars, celebrates its entertainers, and scorns her preachers, and mocks her churches? God has been good to America, but God is not obligated to continue blessing America. And let me say, that's why it's so important that you and I as the righteous remnant don't bow our knee to pale, don't sell out or give in, don't bend or waffle but we stay by the stuff it is not compromise that preserves a nation, it's not assimilation that preserves a nation it's not tolerance that preserves a nation but it's being planted like a tree by the rivers of water on the word of God that will preserve our nation As I read the burden and grief of Jeremiah poured out upon paper, I was caught by a truth. And I want you to consider it with me tonight. In chapter one, Jeremiah offers a rundown of the condition and the shame of the city of God. On the resume of Jerusalem and Lamentations, one are words like solitary, tributary, weepeth, tears, captivity, servitude, affliction, sin, mourn. Wickedness, you see it? Bitterness and rebelled. They're all negative. They're all bad. They're all disappointing. The whole thing reads like a rap sheet for a rebel, 
like an autopsy report of a nation that strayed from God. Jerusalem and Judah had enjoyed their summer of sin, but now they're enduring the winter of the wrath of God. That pleasurable season has become a very painful season. Now crepe hangs upon our text and mourning echoes within our verses and the black garments clothe the scene and buzzards circle the horizon of the Bible. As we read Lamentations in the opening verse, I was caught by that phrase. Just two little words, but let me remind you of something. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is powerful. And every word of God is perfectly placed on purpose for a purpose. And there's two little inspired and preserved words in verse one of Lamentations chapter one that caught my attention. I was reading and I noticed the phrase. I underlined it in my Bible. Jeremiah refers to Jerusalem as the city. He says, how doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary? Now, if you're just to stop there, that sounds like a fine statement. It's reasonable and it seems like it fits fine. It seems like it causes no reason to pause or make comment on it because it's true. Jerusalem was, and by the way, it is the city. In many ways, it's the city. It's the promised city. It's the prophesied city. It's the perpetual city. It is the city of God. It's not that it was, it is the city. But I was reading that, and I believe that that verse shows us a Jeremiah who's maybe a little bit disillusioned, maybe a little bit impersonal toward the city he'd been called to serve. Think about it. He'd invested so much and gotten no return. He spent so much time and got no response. He'd been hurt and misused. He'd wrung himself out spiritually. And now he writes almost like an observer commenting on the city without having much involved or invested any longer. It's almost like Jeremiah's working for the five o'clock news and he's reporting on some stranger's house fire. I'd say he's hurt. I'd say he's a little bit disappointed. And it seems like in chapter one, Jeremiah holds his heart at a bit of a distance from the city. In chapter one, it's the sinful city. It's the weeping city. It's the wicked city. It's the rebellious city. It's the bitter city. In chapter one, Jerusalem is simply the city. But as you read through Lamentations and even as you journey toward the end of chapter one, you'll find that Jeremiah begins to change his terminology, if you will, toward Jerusalem. His words become increasingly seasoned by a love for that city that was still living in the heart of the preacher. I believe we see his heart get soft again to the place he'd been called to preach to. That fire that was almost snuffed out, it gets rekindled. That burden that he used to have, it gets resurrected. And it seems like Jeremiah's vocabulary is altered, almost like his vocabulary was laid upon the altar. And when he comes to chapter three, he scans the scene of that city, that broken city, that city ravaged by the judgment of God. And he doesn't say it's simply the city, but now he calls it my city. In verse number 51, the end of the verse, he calls it, look at it, my city. Now, can I say that as far as affection and burden and vision and love and commitment go, there's a big difference in calling something the and calling something my 
There's a lot of cities I've been to in America. I've been to some cities in other countries. I've preached a lot of different places and there's a lot of beautiful cities in America. I've been in big cities and I've been in small cities. I've been in well-known cities. I've been in obscure cities. I've been in cities that are, 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 have a courthouse and a mayor and some that, man, they don't even have a dog catcher. I mean, I've been all over the place in a lot of cities. But can I say there's only one spot, there's only one city that when I pull in, to the limit signs of that place I can look at and say that's not just a city that's not just some city but that is my city that word the is sort of cold isn't it that word my is more compassionate that word the is a bit former, formal that word my is very personal that word the seems to be distant that word my makes it close that word the is sort of casual but that word my is very affectionate and Jeremiah is saying under inspiration of God that what he saw he felt and what he saw he was moved by and what he saw it stirred him and he cries out and says it's not just some place it's not just a place it's not just the place but that is my place in spite of the judgment in spite of the pain in spite of the wreckage that is my city you say what's he doing he took ownership of his town it wasn't just a town that was his town even draped in crepe even anthem by mourners, even circled by the buzzards, Jerusalem was Jeremiah's city. With all of its destruction, he said, it's my city. With all of its shame, it's my city. With all of its heartache, it's my city. With all of its apostasy, it's my city. With all of its immorality, it's my city. They might have broken my heart, but they still have my heart. They might ignore my message, but they have my affection. That might be Nebuchadnezzar's trophy, but it's still my mission field. They might throw me in the mire, but the mire can't snuff out the fire that burns in my heart for that city. Can you see Jeremiah? He's a mourning man. He's sad and he's ashamed and he's shocked and he's sorrowful, but he still has a calling and he still has a burden and he still has a devotion. And as he pans the obscene scene of Jerusalem, he says, that is my city. I see him almost like a spiritual Nazarite. He'd been set aside and consecrated for that cause. He'd been formed for that purpose. He'd been created for that city. It might not have been much to those who passed by, but it sure was something to Jeremiah. Can I say God doesn't operate on accident or afterthought. God does all things well. And here we find that truth displayed that God pairs his purposed man with a perfect place to serve him. I want to say it like this. I believe the same God that created Moses for Egypt made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. The same God that made David for the throne made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. The same God that made Joshua to conquer Canaan, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. The same God that made Peter to preach on Pentecost, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. The same God that made Paul to pin the scripture, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. Can I say it was his city, the same God who made Esther for such a time as this and Jonah for Nineveh and Nehemiah for the wall and Ezra for the temple made Jeremiah for that city that was his city. The same God that made Joseph to rule in Egypt and Abraham to father a great nation and Noah to build a big boat, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. That was his city. 
the same God that raptured Enoch, the same God that raised up Lazarus, the same God that rose up to receive Stephen when he was stoned for standing for the faith. That's the same God that made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God who made Daniel for Babylon, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Titus for Crete, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Philip for Samaria, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made John the Baptist to cry in the wilderness, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem. It was his city, the same God that made Fanny Crosby to write uh, uh, hymns, the same God that made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made George Whitfield to preach the Great Awakening, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Shubal Stearns to preach at Sandy Creek, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made William Carey for foreign missions, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Billy Sunday for the Sawdust Trail, made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Lee Robertson for Chattanooga, Tennessee, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made Tom Malone for Pontiac, Michigan, he made a Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made a Curtis Hudson for the sword of the Lord, he made a Jeremiah for Jerusalem, the same God that made a Bobby Robertson for Walkertown, North Carolina, he made a Jeremiah for Jerusalem, before Jeremiah took a breath, he was on God's mind, before Jeremiah took a step, he was in God's heart, before the world knew Jeremiah, God knew Jeremiah, and God purposely fashioned that man, and he placed that man in that place, he made Jeremiah for Jerusalem, and Jerusalem for Jeremiah, that was his city. In the stillness of eternity, God's hammer rang out as he formed Jeremiah on the anvil of his perfect will. The same God who made the stars and knew their numbers and gave them names and knows the sparrows and knows the trees. They're sitting in and what tune they're tweeting and what key they're tweeting the tune in. The same God that knows every tear you shed and every hair on your head knew Jeremiah. He gave him a heart that was tender so he could love his city. He gave him lungs that could be filled with air so he could preach to his city. He gave him a tongue that could carry forth the word of God for his city. His eyes were made to be fountain heads for rivers of tears to flow in his city. His feet were fashioned to walk alone in his city. He gave him a backbone forged to stand against the persecution in his city. I'd say there were easier fields. There's probably some greener pastures. There might have been a more appealing opportunity, but there was only one perfect will of God. Jeremiah wasn't someone thrown together piecemeal. I believe the same God that formed the world and sculpted the galaxies and parted the Red Sea and got it a small stone from a shepherd's sling and rolled a big rock away from an empty tomb is the same God that made Jeremiah to preach in Jerusalem. Now my flesh wants to weep for Jeremiah. I hate to even read what he had to go through. I mean, you read about the fact no converts and uh, I mean, no pastor appreciation month and he never got a raise on his paycheck and he never built a big church and never had a soul down the aisle and his bus wasn't busting with bus kids and it seems like Jeremiah was an utmost failure and I read about Jeremiah and I want to mourn for him as he mourns and I want to break for him as he breaks and I want to hurt for him as he goes to the miry dungeon and as they lead him out to Egypt I want to weep for Jeremiah I mean I just long to say Jeremiah I'm sorry that you had to serve that place I'm sorry you had to preach to those people I'm sorry you got called to that spot I'm sorry you got uh, voted in at that church I'm sorry you had to teach that class I'm sorry you're part of that choir I wish you didn't have to serve there but I think of Jeremiah 
could come back from heaven tonight, and I almost wish he would, because it might make some of you wake up, but if Jeremiah could come back to have from heaven to here tonight, and we're to say, Jeremiah, we're sorry. We're sure sorry. I think he'd say, don't you be sorry for me. It was worth every mile of the trip. I wouldn't change a thing if I could. I'm just glad to have a spot. I was glad to have a place. I'm glad to have a spot where I could serve my Savior. It was my city. You see, Jeremiah's part of that rare breed, a Christian soldier. You've got to find, live out, and fulfill the perfect will of God. He, he had fought and war a good warfare and I read about Jeremiah and I found a committed man. I found a man conscious of his community. I found a man engaged with God and the people he was called to preach to. He cried because it was his city. He was broken because it was his city. He was moved because it was his city. He hadn't poured his heart out to strangers. He knew their names. He'd been there when they buried their loved ones. He'd welcomed their babies into the world. He knew who lived in the houses when he drove down the road. He sat in their restaurants and watched them eat. He drove down their streets. He saw their kids playing out in the yard. He lived his life in that city. And I believe the size of his burden is related to the connection he had with his city. Why did he serve? Why did he labor? Why did he love? Why did he preach? Why did he stay? Why'd he endure? Why'd he care? Because it was his city. Now let me make an application. I just got through my introduction, so let me give you my application. My prayer for my life, and I'm not the pastor, but I think I can say for our church, and for you as an individual that came to this meeting is this, that we'd realize we've been called, commissioned, and given an opportunity to serve our city. You might have pulled in here tonight ready to throw in the towel and quit. You might be mad, upset, abused and misused, disillusioned and disappointed, and you might have your letter of resignation waiting in the top drawer of your desk for when you get back to the house. But can I challenge you tonight to reconsider and to allow God to rekindle the love you used to have for the place he's called you to labor? In Santa Clara, California, you said California. I remember when I was moving out here, I got so, all my, all my friends were so mean to me. Because I was talking to Brother Elder, he's from West Virginia, and he told his family he's going to West Virginia, and they thought he had to get a green card. They didn't even understand he could come. <laughs> but they were so negative because everything you hear, especially where we're from about California, is so negative. You say, is it true? Some of it is. Yes, there's a lot of expense to live out here. Yes, there's a lot of liberalism. Yes, there's a lot of homelessness, even in our nice neighborhoods. Yes, there's drugs on our streets and there's murders just like there is where you live. But can I say in Santa Clara, California, there's 150,000 souls that need the gospel. In San Jose, there are over one million souls that need the gospel. In the Silicon Valley, there's millions of souls that need the gospel. I sure would like to live up a holler somewhere. I'd sure like to live close to my family. But can I say God's given us a city? Can I say tonight, church, some of our church folks are here, this is our city. North Valley Baptist Church, this is our mission field. It's not just a town. It's not just a state. This is our town. This is our state. God's called us here 44 years ago, and he wouldn't want me to say this, and that's why I didn't ask permission. 
44 years ago, a young man and his wife pulled into a place with 20-some people on a night where he's told me it's raining cats and dogs. None of this was here. But i tell you what was here, souls that needed the gospel. Broken homes that needed to put back together. Prodigal children that needed someone to say, you can come on back to the Father's house. And somebody got a burden for a place like this and said, by the grace of God, I'm going to make this my city. I wonder where John Knox is in my generation that says, give me Scotland or I die. I pray tonight God will give you a burden and you'll take ownership for your place. Quit looking for another place. Why don't you just get in love with your place? Let me ask you, when's the last time? When's the last time that you wept over your city? When's the last time that you prayed all night for your city? When's the last time you fasted for your city? When's the last time you longed for God to move in your city? When's the last time you asked for power so you could preach in your city? When's the last time you hoped and dreamed and loved and had a vision for your city? Can I say that somebody has to reach Vienna, West Virginia, and somebody has to reach Ailey, Georgia, and somebody has to reach Manhattan, Kansas, and somebody has to reach Evansville, Indiana, and somebody has to reach uh, Waterflow, New Mexico, and somebody has to reach uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, or uh, Napa, California. Somebody has to reach uh, Walls, Mississippi, brother. Somebody has to reach it. And by the grace of God, you've been placed there to reach those people. For our generation, it's your city. It's a shame. It's a shame that a man in a meeting like this will get a burden and thank God for it. I'm not against it, but he'll get a burden for a foreign, a foreign field and he's willing to sell out and go to a place where he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know the culture. There's not a good place to live and poor medical care and he'll pack up his wife and a young baby, say goodbye to those they love and bury their heart on a mission field somewhere and yet you and I get to serve in the greatest nation on the face of the earth and we get to preach to people that we know the culture and we know the language and it seems like we have no burden. Can I say it's not just a city? It is my city. It's my place. Those are my people. Those are my businesses. Those are my restaurants. Those are my streets. Those are my schools. God, give us a burden. Joshua, you can have Canaan. Titus, you can keep Crete. Peter, you go to Jerusalem. Paul, you can preach to Rome. I think I'll just serve God in my city. The drugs ought to bother you. Because that's your city. You ought not drive down the road shaking your head and saying, I wish they'd get out of here. Why don't you go reach them with the gospel? The booze ought to burden you. That's your city. The children in the broken homes ought to move you. That's your city. Those good families that just aren't plugged into church yet ought to stir you. That's your city. Those empty bus seats ought to keep you up at night. That's your city. Those vacant Sunday school seats. Those half-filled pews. That's your city. Any liberal push or unholy agenda ought to rile you up. It's your city. I saw a quote from the Wall Street Journal uh, on February, I think it was February the 20th, a couple of weeks ago, and a, a liberal woman made the statement, thank God that American churches are dying. And you know what? It's true that many churches are dying. But wouldn't it be good if some man of God would get something in this meeting this week and go home and say, well, down the road they might die out, but by the grace of God, we're gonna live on till Jesus comes. 
Can I say when you go out to eat, don't just see the weight, see the souls. That's your city. Don't just see the cars and the crowds and the stores. See the souls. It's your city. God, we need some Jeremiah Christians in our generation. We don't need Christians who just complain. We need Christians who don't just curse the darkness, but somebody who will light the gospel light and let it shine in their city. Other liberal churches can have their fish fries and round tables and rock concerts and bingo tournaments and entertain the masses as they march slowly to hell. But can I say it's too big and too important for us to be entertainers and social reformers and community organizers. You and I must be soul winners till Jesus comes. It's our city. We can't sit idle by. We can't be silent. We can't get stagnant. It's our city. Now I know some of you won't, but I wonder if you'd say it with me. It's my city. Let's say it one, two, three. It's my city. Let's say it again. It's my city. One more time. It's my city. I want to challenge you. Make your city your mission field. Make your city your goal. Make your city your heart. Make your city your burden. Make your city your calling. Don't just live there. Pour your life out there. Don't concede it. Don't let the devil have it. Don't let dead religion have it. Don't let apostasy have it. Don't let sin have it. No quarter and no white flags. Don't concede the children. Don't concede the parents. Don't concede the adults, the elderly. Don't concede the drunks and the dopers. Don't concede the immorals. Don't concede those who are hurting and poor and rich and lost. They say, it's my city. In your city, they need to hear there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. They need to hear what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus in your city. They need to hear we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Now I believe tonight the same God that made Jeremiah formed and called you and I. The same God that knew Jeremiah before he was knew you before you were. And the same God that gave Jeremiah a perfect place and a specific spot did the same thing for you and I. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It's great. God is in it. Jeremiah had his city. By the grace of God, we have our city. It might be a rural place. I got saved in a rural place. I hate to even say that because I can't say rural. But y'all can't either, so that's okay. I went to church with my wife. You say, why'd you do that? Because she's good looking. Say amen right there. A little white church on the side of a mountain. You have to drive across a one-lane bridge across a creek that floods every time it rains. A little white church on the side of a mountain in West Virginia. Pastor started that church. He's been there 20 years now. Started that church with a handful of people in an old block building. They don't have very much people, maybe 50 there on Sunday. But I'm glad he made that little hole in the wall with one little general store and an old broken-down laundromat across the road, his city. Because I went there and heard the gospel. Your city might be a metropolitan metropolis. It might be at the head of a holler on a major highway. You might have millions to reach or just a scattered remnant of people. But wherever you are, it's your city. God knew there was hurting hearts there. God knew there were people in pain and suffering there. God knew there was potential for revival and that a church needed to be built there. And God called you to that place. It's not just a church, it's my church. It's not just a class, it's my class. It's not just a bus route, it's my bus route. It's not just a choir, it's my choir. It's not just a youth group, it's my youth group. It's not just a ministry, it's my ministry. I don't know you and you might not know me, but I know God well enough to know this. God has you where he has you for a reason. 
It's past time, and I'll close. It's past time as we watch our culture spiral downward into everything anti-God. And we see many churches, even of our stripe, get apathetic and lay their head on the lap of compromise. As some old-fashioned Christians resolve to drive a stake deep down in the ground and say, by the grace of God, the world won't have it. The devil ain't going to have it. It's my city. Some preacher here tonight ought to just go ahead and declare, draw a line in the sand, and say, as long as I'm breathing air, and if God will let me, the King James Bible be preached in my city. There's going to be the Word of God preached in my city. The pure Word of God, the perfect Word of God, the preserved, it's going to be preached in my city. Soul winning is going to happen in my city. We're going to run buses in my city. There's going to be some strong preaching take place in my city. Hey, we're going to practice separation as long as I'm breathing air in my city. Old time religion won't be mocked. It's going to be celebrated in my city. We're going to be a compassionate, independent, fundamental Baptist church. We're going to show grace to sinners. But we're going to tan the hide off of sin in my city. Why don't you go home after this meeting's over and light a fire and get to work and get a burden and declare war on sin and spark revival, run another bus, start another class, climb in your pulpit like it's Pentecost all over again and say, by the grace of God, it's my city. Jonathan Edwards prayed for three days and three nights before he preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached the sermon and the great awakening was sparked, but for three days and three nights he preached as he, or he prayed for those as he fasted in an upper room. And he prayed a simple prayer and simply said this, Lord, if I give you myself, would you give me New England? If I give you myself, would you give me New England? And he prayed and he fasted for three days, three nights. You see what happened? He climbed into a pulpit and he didn't preach bombastically. He just read monotone, a manuscript. Revival, you see what happened? God took Jonathan Edwards and he gave him New England. Well, I don't know, what would happen maybe if somebody would just go to an altar, go to their hotel room tonight, go home and say, Lord, if I really gave you myself, could I have my bus route for the glory of God? Could I have my Sunday school class for God? Could I have my family, my church, and my city for the glory of God? You see Jeremiah there in chapter 1, he's so hurt. He preached for so long and nobody responded. 40, 41 years. He said, I told you judgment was coming and now it's come. A little bit disillusioned. But as he watches and he looks, his heart is stirred within him and he says, you know what? I still love that old place. Boy, God called me to that place. That's my city. Amen. You've heard the old poem. I'll read it and we'll close. And George MacDonald wrote it in the late 1800s. He said, I said, let me walk in the fields. He said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers but a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There's nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. There's more, he said, there's sin. I said, but the air is thick and fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, I shall miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered, choose tonight if I'm to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It won't seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the fields, then set my face to, let me change the word, to my town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he, 
and I walk in a light divine, the path I'd feared to see. There might be greener pastures. There might be better spots. There might be people who'd appreciate you more. But isn't it something that God would care enough to put you in a place on purpose? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.